You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right, we're still in our teaching series, The Easy Burden, The Joys and Challenges of Following Jesus. And um, I'm going to start with the verse that that comes from. You've probably memorized it by now. If you hadn't, it'd be a good thing to do. I'm all for memorizing scripture. I heard, um, how can you meditate on the word if you don't have it in you? So um, anyway, you probably know it. So let's read it. Uh, Honestly, I've really enjoyed this series. I've gotten something from every speaker. I think it's been awesome. So I, I hope you have too. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, I've, honestly, I've felt like, like the Lord, we're in a season where the Lord's really bidding us come like in a new, fresh way. And I just, um, I want to respond. I want to do that. Um, I'm going to begin with something that I shared when John Mark introduced this series in early September. I was curious about the word easy in these verses. Um, because I think of the word easy as meaning not hard. Like 2 plus 2 equals 4. And I, I, I didn't feel like the Lord was saying here, this won't be hard um, at all. I felt like that wasn't quite what he was saying. And so I looked up that word easy. And this is the definition that I found of of the Greek word that's um, translated easy in that passage. There were a couple definitions. One was fit, fit for use, useful. And the other was manageable, pleasant, kind, benevolent. So could Jesus be saying here that my yoke fits you? You are made for this. Um, I looked up also how this word is used in other parts of the Bible. And these are some of the verses I found. And they're ones you're familiar with. One is in Luke 6.35. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. The word kind there is the interpretation of that same Greek word. In Romans 2.4. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. The word goodness is from that is that same word that same greek word in ephesians 4:32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another again that word kind is that same greek word then in 1 peter 2 desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious gracious is that same word that same greek word so That gives a fuller picture of what I believe the Lord is saying there. Jesus is kind. He doesn't put heavy burdens on us. And his kindness, his goodness, his graciousness is a powerful thing. Kindness can lighten our burdens. Kindness can lead to a change of mind. The goodness of God leads to repentance. The Lord is kind even to the unthankful and the evil So we can be kind to people we don't agree with or maybe don't even like. Um, But kindness is a powerful thing. And when we join our lives to Jesus, he doesn't place heavy burdens upon us 
like the religious system of his day imposed upon people. And honestly, sometimes our religion imposes those on us or we do it on ourselves. But his burden is of a different nature. It will lead us to do things Jesus' way rather than our own. But what a burden it is to have to have your own way, right? Right? Um, Jesus' way is one of kindness, one for our benefit, for our good. He is for us, he is with us in the journey, and his yoke fits. We were designed for it. So, today, um, let me get into my part of the message here. Um, In the, and I think you've seen this before too, the message translation of the Bible for those verses, it says it this way. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And that's kind of the theme of what I'm thinking here. Learn of me. Watch how I do it. Watch how Jesus models this. Um, So I want to take, I want us to learn this morning something from Jesus' life. Jesus actually modeled this very life he's inviting us into. If you think about it, um, yoking your life to Jesus, um, he lived yoked with his father. Um, And we're going to see that in these scriptures in Luke. I want us to see that his dependence upon his father, his relationship with him, is what stabilized his life, gave him confidence, kept him on course, gave him strength, kept him through the storms and the ups and downs that life brings because I want that for my life too and I'm sure you want that for yours. So we're going to look at several scriptures in the Gospel of Luke to see how Jesus did this. Um, The first one we're going to begin with, which you've heard it a lot here and I think it's always good to look again, is in Luke 3 verses 21 and 22. You're familiar with this event. This is when Jesus came to John to be baptized. And here's what those verses say. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. I've always wondered what that looked like. Have you? While he prayed, um, he was being baptized. Anyway, I was just curious about what it looked like. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And you've heard it said here many times, before Jesus began any ministry, performed any miracle, he had the affirmation of his Father. He knew who he was, he knew who he belonged to, and he knew that he was loved. And on a little side note here, this week, last week, Robin and I were with some of our grandchildren. And one of them asked, who was speaking this Sunday? And Robin said, your grandmother is. They said, grandmama. And I said, yeah, what should I tell them? And one of them piped up immediately and said, tell them how awesome your grandchildren are. (laughs) So, let me tell you how awesome my grandchildren are. I have five delightful grandchildren. Um, Each is such a joy to me. 
I'm so grateful that they live close and I can be involved in their lives. They're creative. They're smart. They're fun. Um, they can behave very well. And they can be stinkers, too. Um, but, you know, that doesn't change a bit of the way I feel about them. Um, you know, there's in my eyes, they're perfect. It doesn't mean I'm blind to the things they're going to have to learn and do and all that. Um, but, but I love them because of who they are. They're mine. They're mine. Right, Ginger, you know. <laughs> um, and I don't know anything that could ever change that, the way I feel about them. Um, so I think you get my point. Um, that's where we are with the Lord. He loves us because of who we are, because we're his. Um, this is, and this is where it all begins. If this is not a settled issue in our lives, we'll look for it in the wrong places. We'll try to get that affirmation from success or from people in an inordinate way. And I believe it's an, I believe too, it's an ever increasing revelation, um, in our lives. Something we want to know um, more and more strongly. Okay, I want to look. Um, that was the beginning there. I want to look at some verses um, throughout the book of Luke and see. This next one shows how Jesus stayed the course. He was not sidetracked by success or by acceptance or rejection. In Luke 4, it recounts the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. In verse 22, it says that all were speaking well of him. But by verse 28, their attitude had changed. And it says that all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. It actually says that they rose up and thrust him out of their city. Did you realize Jesus got thrown out of some places? He did. Then he went down to Capernaum where he healed the sick and delivered those who were demon-possessed. Then in verse 40, it says that while the sun was setting, all who had any sick brought them to him and he healed them. So I guess that means all night he was praying for the sick, healing the sick. Then let's look at Luke 4, verse 42 and 43. Now when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus was not derailed by the approval or disapproval of man. He was not sidetracked from his purpose, by, even by great success. Note that Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. We're going to see this over and over throughout the book of Luke. Jesus' relationship with his father kept him focused, grounded, and on course. Okay, we're going to look at another instance in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is dealing with the pressure of great needs. When he was by the lake of Gennesaret, crowds of people were pressing upon him. And Jesus had a creative solution. He got into a boat and pushed out a little from there and taught from the boat. Then, when he was in another city, miraculous healings were taking place. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. I think the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and a little out of hand. And Jesus was saying, "Keep, please keep this quiet. <laughs> this is getting a little out of control. But then in Luke 5... 
verses 15 and 16. However, the report went around concerning him all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of all their infirmities. So here's what Jesus did. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's how he dealt with the pressure of all these great needs. Jesus was moved with compassion as he experienced the great needs of the crowds coming to him and pressing around him. Again, he looked to his father. The nature of our world right now opens us up to great needs all over the world. Of course, technology has made this possible. And while this can be cool, it can be a good thing, it can also cause us to carry emotionally or whatever burdens that we do not have the capacity to bear or to do anything about. Do some of you feel that? You know what that's like. I recently read something that a friend had written regarding this very thing that that was just real insightful to me. Um, it carries a lot of wisdom. I'm going to read part of that. <clears throat> he said, the world is not your world. Your world is composed of those you interact with and can influence. This includes family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, and others that you come in contact with. Your world, your world is actually pretty small when you think about it um, and should not be larger than what you can truly care about. God designed us to be burdened about the injustice or problems in our world and to take action. But be content if your world is small. A small world empowers us to have impact and influence. Care deeply about your world what you can influence, those you encounter consistently, invest in them, and build rapport to gain influence for the kingdom and for their own benefit. Now, sometimes our worlds expand a little, like Hannah and Ruth, which is awesome. But generally, our world is smaller than that, isn't it? Our relationship with him, I believe, will help us stay in our lane and to find creative solutions like when Jesus got in the boat to find creative solutions to make a difference in our realm of influence. I know often my prayer is, um, is Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in this earth, in me, and in my realm of influence, the ones I really can help and do something about. Okay, this next one, we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with opposition, strong opposition. We saw in Luke 4, when Jesus was in Galilee, the crowds begged him to stay. In another situation, a whole town begged him to leave. You may remember the story. This is when Jesus delivered a violently demon-possessed man and allowed the demons to enter a herd of swine. It was such an amazing and fearful incident that the whole city came out to meet Jesus and begged him to leave their region. So you know what Jesus did? He got into the boat and he left. He returned to Galilee. So one city begged him to stay. Another city begged him to leave. Then we see in Luke 6, on the Sabbath day, Jesus was in the synagogue and there was a man there with a withered hand. 
The scribes and Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he boldly brought the man forward, had him stretch out his hand, and he healed him. Luke 6.11 says of these religious leaders that they were filled with rage, one version said with madness, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now let's look at these next two verses in Luke 6, 12 and 13, how Jesus handled this. And it was at that time that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So Jesus knew, Jesus knew where to go, didn't he? And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. And in another part, in another gospel, it says he chose 12 of them, ones that he wanted. He chose the ones he wanted to be with him. Jesus went to his father and then the following day implemented a strategy to help him. Where do you think he got that strategy? How do you think he came up with that? The Lord was helping him, wasn't he? And then he sent these men out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then Jesus began to teach Keep in mind the opposition he had just encountered. This is what Jesus taught then. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies and do good and lend, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the unthankful and to evil men. This is Jesus' response to those who opposed him. How do, you, how do you live that way? How did he live that way? It's not natural, is it? Um, but Jesus' validation came from above. He knew who he was, and he knew who he was yoked to. His relationship with his father stabilized him and empowered him to live this way. The next one I want to look at is in Luke 9. Um, when Herod comes on the scene, it starts out, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And in verses 9 through 11, it says, And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see Jesus. And when the apostles... The ones he had sent out, this is what it's talking about in the next verse. When they returned, they gave an account to Jesus of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. He withdrew again. But the multitudes were aware that Jesus had gotten away and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. John Mark spoke about this a few weeks ago. Jesus was likely hurting here. And honestly, I thought about it. He, I, wondered, I wondered if Jesus ever experienced fear. If he was tempted in all manner like us, I expect he was tempted with it. I mean, if he knew this man Herod, who had beheaded his cousin, was trying to see him, um, I would be a little anxious about that, wouldn't you? Plus, it was his cousin, so he was hurting. Um, but 
I know Jesus knew what to do about the fear. It didn't take root in his life or, uh, or govern his life. But, but I can, um, it seems reasonable to me that Jesus had to deal with things like, like that. As I know John Mark said that Sunday, Jesus wasn't cold. He had feelings. He had emotion. So he took these, um, these 12 whom he had chosen and took them away with him. And um, they probably needed that time, but here come the crowds. They found him. And, um, but Jesus didn't send them away. He was not unkind to them. It says he welcomed them and began to minister to them. How could he do this again? How could he respond that way? It's because he had a source that was not subject to or limited by his outward circumstances. Then in Luke 9, in verses 28 through 39, it talks about the transfiguration. I won't read all those, but but, uh, you're familiar with what happened there. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain. And it says that while he prayed, the heavens opened and Elijah and Moses appeared and were speaking with Jesus about his departure. So they were there. They strengthened Jesus for the ordeal he was going to go through soon. The agony of the cross, the physical pain, and I believe also the pain of leaving once he had grown attached to and loved. I think... I think I think Jesus had to deal with all that. You know, he was he was a man. He was a human like us, um, but he knew how to deal with it. He he knew where to find the his source of comfort and strength for what was ahead. Okay, a little drink water here. All right, there are many other verses. I'm just going to read a few of these. Luke 21, 37. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And he came out and proceeded in Luke 22, 39. He came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. 43, and while he was praying, it says, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So it was in those moments that he got away with his father, that he received strength and what he needed for his life. Now, what about us? What about us? Um, at this point, Jesus' disciples had obviously come to see the relationship between the way Jesus lived and the way he stayed connect, connected to his father. And so they came to him. It says, and it came about that while he, Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And so Jesus said to them, He said, when you pray, say, Our Father. If you remember from when Alan Platt was here, he was here September 11th. And if you missed that, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was a really powerful message. But Alan emphasized that when Jesus said, Our Father, this was a revolutionary concept in that time. That he was, um, I mean, Jesus was... 
um, a lot of his opposition came because he said God was his father. And they were saying, how can you, how can you do this, Jesus? But he's telling his disciples, when you pray, say, our father, you have access to this same father that I have, is what he was telling them. In Robin's message last week, when he talked about Jesus' encounter with Mary at the tomb and told her to go to his brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So we have access to the father like Jesus did. We have access to the very same source that Jesus had. It's that very source that can stabilize our lives Enable us to live above our circumstances and enable us to respond with kindness to those around us. What does this look like? What does it look like for you and me? I mean, you probably don't have a mountain you can run off to on a regular basis, um, a deserted place. Um, how do we engage in this relationship that the Father, uh, with the Father, that affects that in a way that will affect how we live? And I want to look back at these verses we started with, the easy burden. Jesus said, come unto me. It's an invitation. He's drawing us. Um, I often pray that, Lord, draw me. You may be familiar with in the Song of Solomon, it says, draw me. We will run after you. Um, The Lord instigates that relationship. It's an invitation. Take my yoke. Um... That, that tells me to be intentional. This is not a new message, but sometimes life can be all-consuming and we forget. That's why, that's why it's important to be intentional. Um, I, mean, I, I know we can pray anytime. I mean, you probably pray when you're in the car, pray you're taking kids to or you going to work, taking kids to school, whatever. We can do that anytime. But I think there's also something about, and I'll call it that deserted place, that space where you can turn off all distractions and you can get before the Lord and intentionally give him access to your life and where you can give him all the things that concern you. So here, here's what I recommend. Make it your goal to set aside a space for him every day, even if it's small. Turn everything else off within your control. Turn it all off. Be specific about the things that concern your life and give them to him. And you might have to do it more than once. Um, You can give it to him and you still feel burnt. Keep doing it until, until you know. You know you've been heard and you've released it. Um, but, but mostly, give him access to your life. And, and I encourage you to do this every day. And I know this will look different in different seasons of your life. I, I know when I had, um, when my kids were small, I had four really young ones. And um, at that point in my life, I felt, I felt this desperation. I thought, I have to stay. I need the Lord more than any time in my life. <laughs> but not just for myself, but for these that are dependent on me. And so I determined I was going to spend time with the Lord. I was going to get up before the kids did and spend time with the Lord. So I had to set my alarm because it was hard to beat the kids. Um, and I would get up and I would pray and I would fall asleep every time. 
And finally, I realized I was putting a burden on myself that the Lord was not putting on me. Um, His yoke is easy. His yoke is kind. And during that season of my life, any time I could get a little time away apart from everything was awesome. But the Lord met me in my life, in where I was. I would get the, the clearest things um, that I would get from the Lord that I felt like he was speaking to me happened as I was going about my daily, um, my daily chores and whatever. So it's not meant to be a, that kind of burden that you put on yourself. It's something for our good, something to help us. Um, and, and now, now I can do that. I don't have, I don't have to rush to be kids to get up in the morning. Um, unless if I have grandchildren there spending the night, I can get up and as carefully and quietly as I can tiptoe down the stairs and they find me every time. But it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. But um, be, be easy on yourself. You know, respond to the Lord, but know that he, he's kind. He's not putting heavy burdens on us. And then learn of me. That tells me that it, um, it's a process. We're a work in progress. Um, his yoke is easy. It is kind, gracious, good. It is to your benefit. And I, I want to conclude with a different scripture. I want to conclude um, with something I saw. I, when I was thinking about what I had to say, I thought, um, I, I really want us to be inspired and drawn to really give um, give priority to really being with the Lord, really doing that on a regular basis because I think it um, I'm, it's our source. That's what we need. But I thought our whole thing here is the easy burden, and I didn't want to do it in a way that it was going to put a burden on us. Um, and so I was thinking about... Um, this scripture that I love. This is in Jeremiah 17. <clears throat> and I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope or trust is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear or even see when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. That's always been one of my favorites. I thought Jesus personifies the scripture. His connection with his father was like that river, one that he always had access to, one that he always knew to, how to find. And I was walking the block one day last week, and I was thinking about this scripture, and um, I thought, wonder, um, how do those roots find the water? You know, do they just have to work so hard to find it? I mean, your roots are pretty powerful. They can go through rock. They can go through pipes in your yard, those water pipes, and cause trouble. You have to call the plumber. How do they do that? How do they know where the water is? So, when I got home, I did a little research. I googled, how do the roots of a tree find water? And, and I think it was very interesting to me what I found. Um, in one reference, it says, in one study, 
Researchers found that plants can sense sound vibrations from running water moving through pipes or in the soil to help their roots move toward the source of water. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Another said in response to this question, can plants hear? That's the overarching conclusion from multiple research studies. While plants, of course, don't have ears, they can hear sounds in their local environment. And more importantly, they can react. In another study, they, play, they played the sound of running water to plants and found that the roots started to grow toward the source of the sound suggesting that roots react to the acoustics of their environment. And then one more. Plants use their roots to search for water. While the main root digs downwards, a large number of fine lateral roots explore the soil on all sides. Interestingly, lateral roots appear to already know very early on where they can find water. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So I concluded from that, we are designed for this relationship. We're designed to be able to hear from the Lord and to respond. And I also thought about, um, you know, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve had disobeyed the Lord, and then there's a verse where it says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves. I thought about that, that sound, I thought that, um, I don't know if that was like kind of sound you hear from your ears. It may have been this same kind of sound, like the roots sense. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves. Um, but, you know, we don't need to hide ourselves. We have no reason to hide ourselves. I think the Lord is calling us and wanting us to respond um, just to respond to him. What, you want to stand up and pray? Do you have something, Josiah, or shall we just... I'll pray and I'll just give it to you, okay? Lord, Lord, give us, give us ears, give us sensitivity to hear that sound, Lord, and respond to you. Give us the grace to be intentional about um, being with you and looking to you, Lord. And um, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you for these people here. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives and in our lives together. And we just bless you, Lord, and ask you to continue to draw us, draw us in closer, Lord, and give us hearts to respond quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.